Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. And we've already heard this passage this morning. But I think that as we re-enter the story of King David and his reconciliation, the meeting of the king with his people down on the banks of the Jordan River, I think that this scene from Mark chapter 1 really needs to shape the way that we picture what is taking place. Mark 1 verse 5 And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to John the Baptist and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And then verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. If you recall where we finished last week in verse 15. So the king came back to the Jordan and all Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. So we have the people of Jerusalem and Judea are all coming to one side of the Jordan River and they've realized they have abandoned their king. They've betrayed the anointed of the Lord. They've sinned. And here they are coming back, repenting. And on the other side, we have their king making his way down the opposite bank. Ready to be received by men and women confessing their sins. And this morning's story picks up where we left off last week. We had them on opposite banks, but this morning we find them meeting together in the water. And not the water of just any river, but this story takes place in the midst of the Jordan River. Three men make their way into the water and meet King David there. Standing waist deep with their Lord in the waters of the Jordan River, these three men remind us three important truths about our own baptism. What does baptism mean? Why is it important? What sort of people are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ? As we see these three men passing through the waters of the Jordan, three sort of baptism stories, they remind us that baptism is first about confession. Secondly, baptism is about submission. And thirdly, baptism is about succession. So we're going to see those three truths borne out in these three men who meet their king in the water of the Jordan. If you found 1 Samuel 19, 2 Samuel 19, I'm going to allow you to remain seated this morning so we can give our attention to God's word and not to how long the passage is. All right? We're going to begin reading in verse 15 where we left off last week. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. 
And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, from Bahurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his fifteen sons and his twenty servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gerai, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you, for all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, "Uh, Let him take it all since my lord the king has come safely home. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I'll, I'll provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I'm this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please. Let your servant return, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here, here's your servant, Kimham. Let him go over with my lord the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Kimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you desire of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. The king went on to Gilgal, and Kimham went on with him. All the people of Judah 
and also half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. So ends the reading of God's word this morning. As we begin our story together in verse 16, we immediately encounter our first character, and he should be, if you've been with us, a familiar character, the man Shemai, the son of Gera. You might recall, and hopefully this rings some bells, he's the same man who back in chapter 16, as David and his men were fleeing from Jerusalem, Absalom hot on their tail, he went along the ridge, throwing rocks at David, hurling insults like, you man of blood, you worthless man, good riddance, I hope you rot in hell, those kinds of things. But now the king is returning. King David has been vindicated, even. He's coming back into his kingdom. And who is the first man that makes sure that he is at the front of the pack receiving the king back into his kingdom? Shimei, the sinner. As we look at this man and we see what he's done and we hear his words, Shimei reminds us that baptism is about confession. Baptized believers confess their sins. The first thing that we're told about Shimei in verse 16, it says, And Shimei hurried. Shimei hurried. Men and women under conviction don't ease their way into the water. They aren't dragged there against their will, kicking and screaming. They aren't forced to it at gunpoint. They hurry. They make haste. Driven by the conviction burning in their own hearts, they run into the waters of baptism. Verse 17. It says they rushed down to the Jordan before the king. This is what real repentance looks like. They're not willing to wait for the king to make his way across the Jordan to them. No, they have to go splashing into the water. They're compelled. Nothing's going to stop them. They've got to see the king, and no one is going to keep them from falling on their face in the water before the king, begging, pleading, if there's any way possible, can the king forgive them? Shimei, the great sinner, the man who cursed the Lord's anointed with his own lips, the man who used his hands to hurl rocks at the head of King David, now comes splashing through the water, soaking wet, his face falling into the Jordan, begging, pleading for forgiveness. In verse 20, he says, I had to be first. Of all the people confessing their sins, it's me. I am the chief of sinners. How gracious of God that he not only records Shemai's sin in the book of 2 Samuel, but that he also goes on to record Shemai's confession. The Bible doesn't tell us about how Shimei made up all the bad stuff he'd done to David by doing good things in its place. The Bible doesn't tell us about how Shimei, you know, with 
much willpower and strength was able to force down the guilt and psychologize it away so that he didn't feel bad about what he had done. It doesn't tell us how Shemai continued to insist, no, I was in the right all along, no matter what anyone says. No matter how obvious to everyone that he had sinned, no, it says Shemai ran down into the waters of the Jordan and he confessed his sins. And it's in that moment of confession that this man becomes a hero for us. Because there is a heroism in simply telling the truth about your sin. Our king doesn't ask us to pay him back for all the things that we've done wrong. Our king doesn't even ask us to pay the penalty for what we've done. He actually asks us to do the hardest thing, which is this. Simply tell the truth about our sins. That's the thing nobody wants to do. That's the thing that we naturally cannot do. It takes a heroic, in fact, a supernatural effort. God has to put his spirit in us before we even will be willing to do the simple thing. Confess our sins. And yet, the book of Ephesians says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is only one doorway into the kingdom of God, and Shemai has shown it to us. It's the doorway of confession. But I don't know how to confess my sins. What does that look like? What does that sound like? Well, the good news is Shemai gives us a textbook confession here in verses 19 and 20. You want to know what it looks like to tell the truth about your sin. Look at verse 19. And he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty. Remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. So first, we see him in his confession. He admits his guilt. He says, let not my lord hold me guilty. But not only does he admit that he feels guilty, that he feels like he deserves punishment. Confession is not just an omission of a feeling that we feel bad about something. Secondly, he admits not just that he feels guilty, but he admits the concrete act. How your servant did wrong. And he even notes the time and place that it took that it happened. How your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. So he's pinpointing the date, the time. This is the sin that I committed against you. He puts his finger on the sin. It's not just that he feels bad. It's that he has done something bad. So he confesses his guilt. He confesses the act. And then he thirdly confesses who is the culprit here. Verse 20. For your servant knows that I myself have sinned. Who has sinned? I have sinned. Who has sinned? 
I have sinned. Those are words that are really hard to say. I think some of us probably need a little bit of practice with those. Friend, why won't you be baptized this morning? I can tell you exactly why. It's because you do not want to tell the truth about your sin. And you probably, even in this moment, already know that particular sin that you don't want to tell the truth about. You feel guilty about it. You know the act or the series of acts that you, you keep committing this sin over and over again, but you don't want to tell anyone what you've done. You know you're the one to blame. You're the culprit, but it's too hard to confess. Our world has generated a sort of counterfeit confession these days. People are encouraged to shout their most heinous sins. And, uh, and it's celebrated as being raw or authentic, real. But there's a real difference between the confession of this world and Christian confession. Because when you tell your worst sins to the world, the world says, you're not wrong. And don't let anyone tell you different. Maybe that is satisfying. Maybe that makes the sense of guilt go away for you. I'm not sure. Maybe it helps you forget those acts that you've committed that you're so ashamed of. Maybe it actually really does help your soul to say, I'm not wrong. Society is wrong. My parents are wrong. My teachers are wrong. My church is wrong. My spouse is wrong. Maybe that works for you. When you confess, truly confess, not to the world, but to the king, the king says, you know what? You were wrong. And you're forgiven. The world has no forgiveness to offer. That's all our king has to offer to us. Just admit it. Tell me that you're wrong, and I will forgive Abishai says in verse 21, Shall not Shammai be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. In verse 23, the king says, You shall not die. And then he sealed it with an oath. What is there to gain for Jesus Christ now that he's died and been raised from the dead and seated on an eternal throne? What does he have to gain in putting sinners to death? He's already defeated his greatest enemy. What more is there to gain? He's already the king. Will slaughtering sinners make him any more the king? No. In fact, the Bible tells us Jesus has been restored to his throne of power for this very purpose so that when sinners fall at his feet and confess their sins, he can bestow forgiveness lavishly upon us forever and ever. He has been installed in that place of power so that from there he can speak these words to us, I forgive you. Because that's only, those are words that only a king can say. You've broken the law and yet I forgive you. David sealed his forgiveness with an oath, but we know the forgiveness of Jesus is sealed with the sworn oath of his own blood. Blood that proclaims to each and every one of us 
who confess our sins, you will not die. Never. The king forgave Shemai at the waters of the Jordan as he confessed, I'm the chief of sinners. And we have examples of this as an encouragement to us, no matter what sin we have committed, and we think, no, Jesus won't forgive this one. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and full of acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Why have I received mercy? For this reason, that in me, the chief, the first, the worst sinner, Jesus may display his perfect patience as an example to all the rest of us who would believe in him for eternal life. Don't be afraid to tell your sin. Confess your sin. I wonder when was the last time you said those words, I have sinned. Last week? A month ago? A year ago? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness you're trying to hide. Baptism is about confession. Verse 24, another familiar character from the book of Samuel makes his way hobbling into the picture. Verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. For the day the king departed until the day he had come back in safety. And when the king came to Jerusalem, to, or when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? David's question here is a question of allegiance. All of David's friends left and fled with him, but Mephibosheth stayed behind. If you remember, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, came to David and said, Ah, Mephibosheth stayed behind because he thinks now's his chance. He's being disloyal to you. And David here in this moment is saying, Is it true? Is it true? We have to recognize there is a bit of irony in the question that David poses to Mephibosheth, saying to a crippled man, why didn't you hightail it, run out of the city of Jerusalem with me and the rest of the people? Listen to the restraint in Mephibosheth's response in verse 26. He answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, I'll saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with him, for your servant is lame. So Mephibosheth says, for starters, my servant stole my wheelchair. And then, as to your question of why I didn't run with you out of Jerusalem, let's just all remember here that I am a cripple. <laughs> there is no way for me to run with you. And yet even though he's been taken advantage of, he's been slandered, he's been mistreated, misunderstood, Mephibosheth entrusts himself 100% to the king. Look at verse 27. He slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. You do therefore what seems good to you. 
For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? As Mephibosheth fights to stand upright before the king there, we're reminded secondly that baptism is about submission. Baptism is a pledge of allegiance. It's a statement to Jesus Christ the King. You do therefore to me whatever seems good to you. My life is completely in your hands. Mephibosheth says, what matters to me is not that I am vindicated. It doesn't matter whether I am proven right, that I get what's mine. What matters to me is that my king is vindicated, that my king is proven right, that my king gets what's his because I know that I will belong to him forever. Verse 30, Mephibosheth said to the king, just, you know what, just let him take all of it since my lord the king has come safely home. You can have all this world, just give me. I just want my king if I'm eating at his table I know I'll never go hungry strip everything away rob me blind take it all lie, cheat, stab me in the back I do not care because when Jesus comes back I'm not going to be thinking about all the petty things of this world anyways you can take it from me because I just want to have my king and he wants to have me and that's all that matters Brothers and sisters, we have a freedom at the waters of baptism that this world dreams about. The freedom of fe from feeling like I have to look out for what's mine. We're set free from that. The freedom from living in a world that is red in tooth and claw. The freedom from feeling like I've got to prove that I'm right. The freedom from the claustrophobia of selfishness. A free reckless abandon to be able to entrust ourselves everything we are my life my career my job my school my possessions my spouse my kids my retirement my money whatever i have i am just going to give it to my king and say you do to me whatever pleases you doesn't that sound freeing to know that there's a king, and not just a king, but the eternal king of the universe is the one watching over you. Who's seeing to your affairs? Who's going to make sure that on the final day of judgment you stand there justified, holy and blameless before the eternal God? Who's going to give you his spirit to make sure you make it all the way to the finish line? And guess who is going to be the first one there to meet you when you cross the waters of the Jordan River into the promised land, your king, he's waiting for you at the finish line. Brothers and sisters, baptism is about submission. It's about giving our life completely to the one who's given himself to have us as his own. I don't know where you are in this race, and you may feel like you're gimping along like Mephibosheth, <laughs> far behind the group. But the author of Hebrews says, 
Look. Look here at the finish line. Can't you see your king standing there at the river waiting for you? There he is, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, watching over you all the way in. Submit your life to him, and he will sustain you. Baptism is about submission. Quickly, we're going to look at our third man here. So Shimei shows us that baptism is about confession. Mephibosheth reminds us that baptism is about submission. There's one more individual who meets David in the midst of the Jordan. It's Barzillai. Our third man shows us finally that baptism is about succession. Baptized believers pass down the faith. We see him coming down to the banks in verse 31, and he's not spry, he is not sure-footed, he's aged, elderly, 80 years old. But he's been faithful. He's been faithful to David the king the whole time that he's been in the wilderness. In fact, he, out of his own storehouses, his own, at his own expense, has been providing for David, all of his people, his whole house, feeding them, tending to his needs, supporting the king. And here, in his final act of forgiveness, he is escorting David to the edge of the Jordan River back into his kingdom. And the king turns to Barzillai in verse 33 and he says, Why don't you come over with me and I'll provide for you with me in Jerusalem. And you can picture Barzillai sort of smiling a wrinkly grin back at David and saying, What good is that going to do? You serving me with all your rich food and drinks at your table, I can't even taste anything anymore. <laughs> You're going to entertain me with all this beautiful music I can hardly hear. What good is all of that? Verse 37. Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and my mother. But here, here's your servant, Kim Ham. Let him go over with my lord the king and do to him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Kim Ham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you desire of me, I will do for you. So Barzillai brings the king to the edge of the Jordan River, and the king says, I want to pay you back for everything that you've done for me. Instead of claiming a reward that was his, rightfully his, for all of his hard work, for all of his sacrifice, his giving. This is what he says to King David. Don't repay me. You know what? Whatever you owe me, why don't you pay it to this young man? Whatever service I've rendered to you, whatever expense, whatever reward there is for my hard work, don't pay it to me, Lord. Repay it to this young man in my place. Friends, what a beautiful way to illustrate the way baptism connects generations of believers to one another. Men and women laboring hard for the kingdom, and they get to the end of their road, and they realize they're in their twilight years. What do they say? Give me what I deserve. I put in the hard work. I gave my money. I deserve to be served. No. Barzillai steps aside and says, Lord, don't repay me. Pay it to this young man. 
pay it forward. Whatever feeble gifts I may have given to you, whatever time I may have rendered to you, whatever energy I gave you, don't reward me for it. Reward the next generation of believers. Give it to them. Don't give it to me. Unfortunately, many churches in America are struggling at this very point. The elderly members of the church seem to resent the younger members of the church as though they're there to somehow take away something that's rightfully theirs. And then you've got the younger members of the church who resent the older ones because they think they're getting in the way. But the truth of the matter is that this is how our king intended for his kingdom to grow and operate since the very beginning. Older believers passing on the faith to the next generation. Younger believers realizing that what they are receiving is the result of someone else's hard work, money, and time. And in this way, all God's people make it through the Jordan into the promised land. If you're here this morning and you're 80 or you're close to it, you're old. That's not me saying it. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> I wonder what you're holding on to in your twilight years. In your final years, are you going to cling to what you've worked so hard for? That This is mine. No one's taking this from me. Or will your greatest privilege of your Christian life be to take the thing that you've worked so hard to preserve and to build and to be able to hand it off to the next generation? To young men and women who are baptized sinners just like you were many years ago. Then all the people went over the Jordan and the king went over and the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and returned to his home. The king went to Gilgal and Kimham went on with him and the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on their way. Baptism is about confession, submission, and succession. All the king's people, it says, went over that Jordan River. I wonder this morning whether you are part of that group. Have you been baptized? The question is, what's preventing you from doing that today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you, our King, have come back to us. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have won for us at the cross. As we come and confess our sins day after day, we are trusting that your forgiveness will never run out. Our sins, even though they are many, we trust that your mercy is ever and ever more. Lord, we pray that you would have your way with your people. Do whatever seems good to you. We simply want to serve you and belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.